on SAFM. We also at the beginning of this year, temporary disability grant recipients forming long queues at various South African social security agencies, SASA, across the country, followed by a decision, or this rather followed decision by SASA to suspend the grant at the end of December, leaving scores of recipients having to reapply simply not knowing what the situation was because of the communication that was. In terms, of course, of the Social Assistance Act, a temporary disability grant is given for a specific period only, whereafter it must lapse. If the recipient still cannot find work as a result of the condition, then a new application with a new medical assessment is required. According to SASA, the aim is to have the reapplication process completed by 31 March this year. But, of course, Doctors Without Borders and Black Sash have been vocal about their concerns over the impact of grant delays on their beneficiaries. Though they say that they don't downplay the work of SASA and what it already has done, there are patients who are not getting their grants and they feel that this is not acceptable. Good evening, Claire. Thank you so much for joining us. you want to expand on these thoughts that I've shared so far in relation to the disability grant? Hi, Shangrizo. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, essentially, we found ourselves in a situation um, at the beginning of this year, which was really disturbing to us. Uh, we work in Kyalicha specifically at this point, but all around the country, um, and focus on drug-resistant TB, which is a really dangerous disease to have and very difficult for patients to, to deal with. Um, and what we saw is at the, in January, our patients who are not able to work while they are dealing with this disease were arriving at the offices of SASA to pick up their usual temporary disability grant. And it seems that without notice, this grant had now lapsed or been suspended. Um, and they were not able to access the money that they needed um, in order to, in most cases, get the food that they needed in order to be able to take the medication to treat their illness. Um, which is obviously extremely worrying for us and, and not acceptable. Just so that we can be on point in relation to what exactly we are talking about, mm-hmm. there is, of course, a steady grant for those who are disabled. We, we are not talking about that. We are talking about a temporary disability grant. Do you just want to establish the difference between one who gets a disability grant, which is not affected by anything, versus mm-hmm. the people about whom we are speaking now who are otherwise qualifiers or aspirant qualifiers for the temporary disability grant? Yeah, sure. So essentially, as you said, a, a disability grant is when you have a permanent disability and you you know that you will need this grant permanently, essentially. Whatever your condition is, it means that you won't be able to work um, for the well, permanently. Whereas our patients, for example, are DRTB, uh, which means that if it's an illness with a, it will end at some point if they stay on treatment. Um, and usually treatment is between nine and 24 months. Um, so that's around the time that they would need that grant. Um, and of course, we completely accept, uh, we would not expect our patients to be receiving this grant once they are cured of, of their illness. It's it's specifically a grant for that period of time where they would be needing it because they can't work during that time. And that applies to other illnesses or other injuries and that kind of thing. What is SASA's position? What have they advanced 
to whoever cares to listen, but um, a position that remains credible nonetheless in relation to these delays. What has caused these delays and why would these delays be happening now? Is there anything new that they've had to contemplate that for whatever reason has made it more difficult for the system? And I say the system in the broadest possible terms to be able to run seamlessly such that it doesn't occasion what we have now legitimate beneficiaries not getting their dues Mm. that's a good question and to be honest with you sasa is obviously best place to speak to that um what i understand is that there are some severe budget limitations and that also as you mentioned in the beginning of the interview they are obligated to um keep reassessing these grants and so i think because of the covid pandemic and probably other factors as well, that system hasn't really uh, worked properly at this point, which brought us to a point now in January where a lot of people um, were deprived of their grants and who were legitimate beneficiaries who should have been getting their grants. Um, Sasa has said to us that they did try to communicate this to those beneficiaries as much as possible um, you know, they said that they had people in the queues over the last few months explaining that, etc. But, um, well, it's difficult for me to say what actually happened on the ground, but what we know is that our patients immediately reported back to us that they had no idea that their grants were stopping and, and put them in a really vulnerable position. I want to carry on on that last point. Your patients are mm-hmm. talking to you. What are they saying? How dire are their respective circumstances? You mentioned Kailicha. I might have a mild exposure to Kailicha given the family that I have there. I haven't been in a while, and certainly in the last two years, I've simply not been able to travel for, certainly in the last year, for reasons best known to everybody. Now, the conditions can't be that great in the first place, given historical things that we all know. Now, to be a person living with a disability in that sort of environment, I can only imagine, but without any sense of reality, how dire are the people's conditions on the ground such that a delay becomes that much more pronounced in the suffering that happens where that amount of money, small as it is, could add some relief? Mm. Yeah, so absolutely. I mean, it's it's a really difficult life for many of our patients. Um, As we know, Kailitra is... um, not exactly well off in many areas. Um, And I think if you add to that, having TB, let alone drug-resistant TB, is is really scary. Um, It's a really daunting process, and and it's not not easy, you know. So these grants then were providing a lifeline. They were really providing a way for patients to have to worry about one less thing, essentially. And that one less thing is how will they feed their families or feed themselves. It's really critical when you have drug-resistant TB to stay on treatment consistently and to have food that enables you to continue that treatment. So, of course, our concern then immediately is if they can't get that money and then they can't access food, that immediately has an impact on their treatment. Of course, this is all before you bring in a COVID-19 pandemic. Yeah. That's hitting everything. It is... I would imagine, as a DRTB patient, I would imagine that it is terrifying to have to know that you have this highly contagious disease, that you are vulnerable to COVID-19, and now you have to go and queue outside an office, often overnight, 
more than one time in order to fight this battle to get your grant back um, while worrying about your family, worrying about, you know, everything else. Um, so th- that pandemic angle has also just really made everyone so much more vulnerable. And specifically, we are concerned, obviously, about our patients, but I'm quite sure that there are many others in the same kinds of vulnerable situations who shouldn't be put in this position. You talk about vulnerabilities and none more so than the elderly and especially the children in these circumstances. What specific or what peculiar case can be made in the light of the vulnerabilities that we should all anticipate children in South Africa generally are under, especially children who fall within this bracket such that they would need social intervention from the government and then living in these very difficult COVID-19 times. Do we have a sense of like the challenges that pertain? Because, I mean, we talk about claiming money from government. Of course, that money doesn't accrue any interest. It's just the money you should have been paid that much long ago. You're just getting it that much later. And of course, children are suffering yeah, big time. Yeah, I'm, I'm quite sure that they are. Um, our patients are not specifically children, so I'm probably not your best expert to speak on this, but I'm sure that we can all imagine that when we talk about vulnerabilities, children are always amongst the most vulnerable in society. And so to be impacted by something like this would not be uh, a small thing at all for those families or those children. And in the communities where your presence is as Doctors Without Borders, what is it that what is it that is your work that intervenes where the public system, if you like, to an extent even the private system, doesn't achieve, cannot achieve, doesn't want to go there and do that ultimately it befalls on your lap, so to speak? Give us a sense as to the impact you have in these respective communities. Sure. So... Um, we've been operating in Kailicha 20 years now, um, and it actually began as a project to be one of the first sites in the entire country providing ARVs um, during uh, the early days of HIV when, you know, there were so many issues accessing ARVs. Um, and since then, that project in particular has grown and adapted, and it, we work actually very closely in collaboration with the Western Cape Department of Health and the National Department of Health. Um, now we work on more TB than HIV, but we still work on both of those, and it, now our focus is very much looking at how to improve models of care, so essentially how to make things better for patients. Um, so we do that either by... Um, bringing in or starting to use new med- medications that are coming in, so, um, you know, new ARVs that have less side effects or new DRTB drugs that have less side effects, or by trying new models of, of clinical care that might work better. So, for example, we focus a lot on um, community engagement and really working with communities to find out what works best for them. Um, in the past, we've done things like, for example, open a a late night clinic um, so that people who are working during the day and don't have time to come to a clinic mm. to get tested can come to this after hours clinic or you know we found that stigma among men for HIV is extremely high okay how can we combat that we set up a male only clinic near a taxi rank and um, that male only clinic it was only staffed by men you know even the cleaners the doctors the nurses and that helps to cut down on stigma. And mm. we kind of 
see how those things work, and then we share that with the government. And to be fair, we get they're very receptive to what we suggest, and we have a very good working relationship. But that's kind of how our model has evolved in Kailicha. We also work in other areas in the country. We work in Ashawi uh, in KZN, mm. also a TB project where we really are pushing hard on bringing TB care closer to um, the community. So not having to trek really far out to through these rural areas to clinics every time you need medication, but finding ways to bring that medication closer to you and the testing closer to you. Um, we also work in uh, Rustenburg on sexual and gender-based violence, um, where we've set up sort of, again, it's more about modeling new ways of care that we feel work better for the situations our patients find themselves in. So in Rustenburg, we have these special clinics called Kumotsu Care Centers, which are dedicated to SGBV or sexual and gender-based violence survivors so that they don't have to go into a hospital and go through that additional trauma. And we specifically focus then on a very um, uh, targeted way of dealing with them, Mm. which gets them through the system as quickly as possible with the maximum support as possible. Here's Um, why this question is important to me. Mm. We have had for the longest time challenges with SASA, the current administration, the administration before that. And SASA is in effect an implementing agent of the Department of Social Development. So SASA is a constitutional body because it is established for the purposes of giving effect to Section 27, one of the Constitution, right to Social Security, among other things. Now, would it be an entirely bad thing? And to the extent that I ask this question, I accept there might be a conflict in your response. Mm -hmm. If, for instance, the Department of Health, instead of always running its programs, it similarly follows a pattern of outsourcing to bodies, if not constitutional bodies as DSD and SASA, Department of Health gives some money which it would otherwise use in its programs through tender systems or some other constitutional bodies that are not nearly as efficient by what this sounds like, Doctors Without Borders, MSF. You get particular appropriations, you understand the mandate, and then you go and engage the community as you do, whilst taking into cognizance the particular nuances of the community and the mandate by which you have to now go and deliver your work. Is that altogether a bad idea? It's still government work. It's just not being done by government. And it has a public effect that is desirous of government's mandate. What's wrong with that? (laughs) Um, That is a very big question. And look, I mean, I think there's a lot of innovative ways that we can approach healthcare and approach care. Um, I am hesitant to prescribe what is best for the entire country. Um, What I can say is that we find it extremely productive and efficient and rewarding to work very closely with communities. Our kind of motto of how we operate is always patients at the center. And so often that leads you to things that traditionally you wouldn't think of in medicine or in the way you approach care but it is the things that impact people's lives and makes it easier for them to access health care. Um, so, of course, I would encourage anyway for the Department of Health or for other health care providers to be able to work in that manner. And I think there is a move towards that. You know, I think there very much is an openness to trying innovative things and, and trying to bring things close to, to the community in South Africa. 
um, yeah, I mean, it's not always as simple as it sounds, but but it is it is trying. Keep doing the work that you do. We do appreciate it. Claire Waterhouse, Regional Advocacy Manager at the Gauteng branch of Doctors Without Borders. Otherwise, Medicine Sans Frontiers. 2055. Thank you so much, Claire.